0: James chapter 2, verse 1 through 13. Careful with favoritism, careful with being a face looker. You know, favoritism is face looking, looking at the face and making an opinion. If you would, please stand for reading of the Word of God. Starting in verse 1 My brethren, do not hold the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory, with partiality. For if there should come into your assembly a man with gold rings and fine apparel, and there should also come a poor man, in filthy clothes, and you pay attention to the one wearing the fine clothes, and say to him, You sit here in a good place, and say to the poor man, You stand there, or sit here at my footstool. Have you not shown partiality among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Listen, my beloved brethren. Has God not chosen the poor of this world to be rich in faith, in heirs of the kingdom which he promised to those who love him? But you have dishonored the poor man. Do not the rich oppress you and drag you into the courts? Do they not blaspheme the noble name by which you are called? If you really fulfill the royal law according to the scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. You do well. But if you show partiality, you commit sin and are convicted by the law as a transgressors. For whoever shall keep the whole law and yet stumble in one point, he is guilty of all. For he who said, do not commit adultery, also said, do not murder. Now, if you do not commit adultery, but you do murder, you have become a transgressor of the law. So speak and so do as those who will be judged by the law of liberty. For judgment is without mercy to to the one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. This is the word of God. Please be seated. Careful with favoritism. Careful with being a face looker. Now, the theme of James is genuine faith produces genuine works. Now, you say it. Genuine faith produces genuine works. Good job. Last week, we talked about doers and hearers of the Word. And there are three things that we saw that the doers did. They were swift to hear, slow to speak, and slow to wrath. They're slow to become angry. The swift to hear. Remember, hearing is not natural. We always want to get our opinion out. Hearing takes time, and it usually takes time with God in order to develop that discipline. We we read a proverb. It was 18.2. It says this, a fool has no delight in understanding. That understanding means insight or wisdom. Has no, de- no desire to hear, to have, hear God, to have insight or wisdom into God. A fool has no delight in understanding, but in expressing his own heart. Expressing his own heart. So we're to be swift to hear and then slow to speak. Take a moment before you speak. Let the clutch out slowly before you speak. And remember, pause for reflection. Consider what you're going to say because what you say could cause a lot of damage. And saying, I'm sorry, after you've crushed somebody doesn't make it all better. It takes time, folks. It takes time and it takes trust to bring healing back. It isn't just, oh, I'm sorry, and we can move on. It takes time. Slow to wrath. The word was orge, remember, O-R-G-E. And it's that simmering anger that people live with, that unresolved anger that's just under the surface that people have. It's ready to explode at the slightest provocation. And usually it explodes on those that are closest to us. Isn't that something? Those that are closest to us, we just pour it out on them. We want to know how to deal with our anger, deal with the things that cause us the frustration. And remember, we went to Colossians chapter 3, verses 8 through 15. And we saw that we were to put off the old man. And I don't know if you remember or not, but when you received Jesus Christ as your Savior, you died. Your old man died with Christ. And he needs to be buried. He, comes, he tries to resurrect every now and then and rule, but you need to put him off because he has died. And it says in that scripture, we are to put off the old man. And the first thing it says is anger. That is orge, that it's simmering anger. And then wrath is when it's ratcheted up, when you're really pouring out on somebody. Then malice, blasphemy, filthy language we're to get out of our hearts and out of our minds and out of our spirits. That's killing the old man. That's putting the old man to death. And then we are to put on the new man, like you put on a vestige of clothes. Take off, put on. We put on the new man. Compassion, kindness, humility. And then we made this point, bearing with one another. And that word means putting up with one another. Forgiving, forgiving easily loving greatly, and let the peace of God rule in your heart. And you say, how do I really carry this out? Well, it doesn't leave it a mystery because in Colossians 3.16, it tells you specifically what to do. It says this, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, copiously, overwhelmingly. And that word dwell means to occupy a house, okay? So let the word of God occupy your house, occupy your temple, Fill your temple with the word of God. Let it be copiously flowing through you. Controlling yourself, controlling the old man is not automatic with salvation. Remember, salvation, you have been declared righteous before God. It's a legal declaration. But killing the old man is part of the sanctification process in which we are becoming more and more conformed to the likeness of Christ. It is not automatic. It takes time with God. It takes time in his word and it takes work. It takes work. It's not automatic. It takes work to change old patterns and old ways of behavior. We have to remember that. So, swift to hear, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. And then we saw that doers do this they continue in the word. And they just don't hear the word and let it go in one ear and out the other, but they hear it with the intention of doing what the word of God says. That's the big thing. Not to forget what God says, but actually do what he says, implement it. And then in verse 26 last time, We talked about doers of the word actually control their tongue. Now, this is a hard one for a type A person. Doers that are spirit-controlled can control their tongue. And it's a sign that you're walking with Christ. It's a sign that you've really been changed. Here's our flesh-controlled. Remember, the flesh spouts very quickly, just pours out, shoots from the hip. The flesh lacks a filter. So doers work on changing. Hears are satisfied with the status quo. Hears don't really want to change. They want to keep things on the same level. It's uncomfortable to change, folks. It's uncomfortable to change from the old you to the new you. There are two verses that help us with our tongue. These I memorize for myself because this is something that I need help with, and maybe you do too. Set a, and it's, it's just this one, Psalm 141, verse 3 and 4. Set a guard, O Lord, over my mouth and watch over the door of my lips. Do not incline my heart to any evil thing. And then Proverbs 29:11, a fool vents all of his feelings, but a wise man holds them back. You don't have to say everything you're thinking. Take a moment. Take a pause before you speak. Have a filter. There is a right time, and there is a right way to deal with things. There is a right time and a right way to deal with issues. But how quickly we can destroy our witness! When we do not control our tongue. Now this week, this week, James is going to address another problem area, and that is favoritism, partiality, prejudiced. That is what he's going to be talking about here. So careful with favoritism. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this time, again, that we can study your word. This is the word of God that you've given us, that we can learn what you want for us here on this side how we can live differently than we did in the past. Help us to take this word in. And may we be not just hearers of the word, but doers of the word. Oh, Lord, teach us today how we can live without being favorites, prejudiced. Help us to live more and more like you. In Jesus' name, amen. So, careful with favoritism. Favoritism. What does it mean to show partiality or favoritism? It means to favor some people over another, to pay special attention to certain people. If they're wealthy, they're in the same social economic group as you. If they're popular, if their looks are like you want them to be, if they have influence, these are the ones we tend to show favor to. Everyone who is in the church is a brother or a sister in the Lord, okay? We are on equal footing wealth, status, social standing, position. All of that stuff, none of that stuff matters at the foot of the cross. You realize that. That is an important thing to remember. We all come to Christ on an equal footing. No one is higher. No one is lower. He accepts us all. We are all his servants. We are all his slaves. It is impossible, now hear this, it is impossible to rightly judge another person on the basis of outward appearance only, and we do this all the time. We do this all the time. We are face lookers. No one can determine the heart of another from the outside. Now, the outside, in your opinion, could look like a mess. Now, this is all very subjective because someone could come in here looking very different than us, and we're going, oh, they look messy. I don't like that outside, and you make an opinion. Now, you could go into another group of people, and you could have a three-piece suit on, and you could have your tie all nice and and your cufflinks on, And they're going to look at you as being messy. So this subjectivity can go both ways. We don't look at the outward appearance. Outside can look perfect in your opinion, but there's a bad heart. The outside is a mess in your opinion, but you can have a great heart. We cannot judge the heart by the outward appearance of a person. Now with this stated, verse 1, do not be a face looker. And this is a command. This is an imperative. My brethren, he's talking to believers, my brethren, do not hold the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ. By the way, that's Jesus' official title. He is the Lord Jesus Christ. Official title. Do not hold faith of the Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory, with partiality or with favoritism. Do not judge on appearance alone. We must deal with our learned favoritism learned prejudice. We learn these things as we grow in the the people. Have faith in Jesus without partiality. Have faith in Jesus without partiality. Looking looking at the face of another, that's what partiality is. Looking at the face, being a face looker. And again, it's it's an imperative. There's there's some supporting scripture to this. In Romans chapter 2, verse 9, we read this, Tribulation and anguish on every soul of man who does evil, on the Jew first and also the Greek. So they're comparing the Jew, who is who is the epitome in that culture, and the Greek, who would be the less looked at. Okay, So tribulation and anguish on every soul of the man who does evil, of the Jew first and also the Greek, but glory and honor, peace to everyone who works what is good, to the Jew first and also the Greek. So we're on equal footing in the, in the body of Christ, for there is no partiality with God. Now, what did I just say? There is no partiality with God. Now, in Galatians chapter 2, just another supporting verse, Paul is going to be speaking, and he says this. Now, he's going to be talking about the disciples, the apostles, the 12 apostles, or the 11, because Judas is abdicated by this point, but Matthias was added, so 12. But from those who, who seem to be something, he's talking about the apostles, People looked at them, elevated them, okay? Whatever they were, it makes no difference to me. And he says these words, God shows personal favoritism to no man. God sh- it doesn't matter if you're a disciple. doesn't matter if you're the Apostle Paul. doesn't matter what status you have within the community. God is not a face looker. That is the main thing that we want to get across here. So Peter is an example. Peter is an example of this. In Acts chapter 10, verse 34, Peter was a Jew's Jew. He actually was to take the message of Christianity to the Jews, and Paul went to the Gentiles. And he went to Cornelius' house, who was a Gentile. And in Cornelius' house, you have to remember that Peter viewed the Gentiles with disdain. And actually, the Jews look at Gentiles as dogs. Looked at them as dogs. Very prejudiced. He showed favoritism. But God spoke to Peter. And he said this, then Peter opened his mouth and and he said, in truth, I perceive that God shows no partiality. God is not a face looker, not a respecter of person. Peter knew what favoritism was. Peter knew what prejudice was. And God spoke to him, showed him that everyone is equal. And now he is going and telling Cornelius, hey, you're going to be part of the family of God, part of the family of God. Now, you have to remember that it's easy to relapse into prejudice. It's easy to do that. How do I know? Because Peter did it. Peter did it. In Galatians chapter 2, verses 11 through 13, we see these words. Now, when Peter had come to Antioch, Paul says, I withstood him to his face because he was to be blamed. He's going to be blamed for something. Watch this. For before certain men came from James, oh, the brother James, the brother of Jesus. Now he's the, he's the, he's a Jewish guy in charge of the tr- church in Jerusalem. A lot of authority and a lot of power. So Jewish guys are coming to Peter. He would eat, before that, he would eat with the Gentiles. He was on equal footing with the Gentiles. But when they came, he withdrew himself and separated himself from the Gentiles, fearing those who were of the Circumcision, fearing those of the Jews, fearing that they were going to be ridiculing him for associating with the Gentiles. And the rest of the Jews also played the hypocrite with him. Even Barnabas was carried away with their hypocrisy. I will tell you, prejudice spreads and it must be confronted. And Paul confronts Peter, the great apostle, right to his face and says, This is wrong prejudice must be addressed. Now let's be clear here. James is not condemning the kind of discernment that comes through understanding someone's character. He's not saying that. James is dealing here with our tendency to be prejudiced because of preconditioning based on outward appearance, based on outward appearance. We are not to make judgments because of the way someone looks on the outside. In the next verse, he's going to be talking about the rich and the poor. But in our culture, we deal with race issues all the time. And I want to tell you something. There is one race. It is the human race. We all come from one blood. In Acts chapter 17, from one blood, from one nation, we all come from one source. One source. In verses 2 through 4, we're going to see an example of favoritism. He's going to use the rich and the poor, but he's just using this example. So watch this. For if there should come into your assembly a man with gold rings and fine apparel. And there should also come a poor man in filthy clothes. And you pay attention to the one wearing the fine clothes and say to him, you sit here in this good place and say to the poor man, you stand over there or sit here at my footstool. Have you not shown partiality among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? With evil thoughts. Now this is talking about the haves and the have-nots in society. Immediately when someone comes in, we form a mental picture. It kicks in. We face look. This is something that is just unique to every one of us. You you, you do this automatically. The example here is pandering to the rich guy. They look good. They look stable. Someone comes into your church. There's the looking good people, the looking good family, and immediately you form an opinion and say, oh, good, here comes a tither. I can't believe there's one coming into the church. Yay! Or somebody is going to work in kids ministry, or maybe this will be a youth worker. Oh, thank you, Lord. And then the poor guy comes in. No apparent resources, and our face looking kicks in, and immediately we're thinking, oh, goodness, what does this person want? And that is wrong, and that is sin. That is what James is talking about here. That is what we are not to do. Remember, you are fighting your pre-programming prejudice. You didn't come into the world this way. This is learned behavior from parents, social groups, media. Our flesh preferences start to kick in. Catering to anyone, catering to anyone, whether they're rich or poor. There's a different different aspects of beauty in the culture, uh, color in the culture. Anytime we cater or pander to somebody, we are we are showing prejudice to someone else. To maintain class distinctions simply out of pride and contempt is wrong and it is sin, and that is exactly what James is calling this. He's not holding it back. Martin Luther King had a great quote, very very familiar to you, I think. He says this, I look to the day when people will one day not be judged by color of their skin, but by the content of their character. What a great statement. Not the face looking, but looking at the heart of the person looking at the heart of the person. William Barclay says this, the church must be one place where all distinctions are wiped out. In the presence of God, all men are one. We are equal at the foot of the cross. In verse five, we're gonna see that the poor man is gonna become rich. When the poor become rich, and I would suggest to you that every one of us, regardless of our economic status or our social status, before we come to Christ, we are poor. We are poor in spirit. And we can become rich. Watch what happens here in verse 5. Listen, my beloved brethren. Has God not chosen the poor of this world to be rich in faith, and heirs of the kingdom which he promised to those who loved him? Let that resonate. Heirs of the kingdom. Heirs of the kingdom. Why single out the poor person here? Because the poor have to trust God moment by moment for survival. And I would tell you, I would suggest to you, that is all of us in the body of Christ. We are trusting God moment to moment to moment for survival. Because guess what? Your money is not going to buy you health. Your money is not going to buy you joy in this world. It is going to be our relationship with our Savior that is going to accomplish that. Just a side note. God is not being partial here to the poor, to the exclusion of the rich financially or socially. The great characteristic of God is that he is impartial. He sees the heart. He sees the heart, and that's what we want to be more like, seeing the heart, not the outside. The poor are rich because they are heirs of a king. Poor are rich because we are all heirs of a king. Romans 8.17, and if children, then heirs. Heirs of God, joint heirs with Christ. Now, I don't know what all that means, but that sounds like something pretty good. Colossians 1.12, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints that are in the light. Partakers of the inheritance. We are heirs of Christ. We have an inheritance. Now, John MacArthur says this, when you look at what does being an heir mean to me? What does it mean to me? Well, John MacArthur says these words, every believer will receive by grace, by divine grace, the full inheritance Christ received by divine right. Isn't that something? That is something we have to look forward to. And again, I don't fully understand what all this means, but it says here that what Jesus has, he gives to us. That is something to look forward to. Anybody clinging on to here, with tentacles, compared to what is waiting us, they are missing the picture of what Christianity is. We have an inheritance that is phenomenal that is awaiting us. Now, verse 6 and 7, it's going to talk about the rich man, poor man's struggle. So, verse 6 and 7. But you have dishonored the poor man. Do not the rich oppress you and drag you into courts? Do they not blaspheme that noble name by which you are called? Now, William Barclay gives us a little background on what's going on here when he talks about dragging people into courts. Watch what he says. In the society which James inhabited, the rich oppressed the poor. They dragged them into the courts, no doubt because of some sort of debt. The, the, The poor were at the bottom of the social scale. They were subject to moneylenders and extortioners who would get them in debt. The ancient world, there was a custom called summary arrest. Summary arrest. A creditor, if he saw the debtor on the street, could grab him by the neck, grab him by his robe, and literally drag him into the courts. That's what James is talking about here. Throttling him, dragging him into the courts. That's what the rich did to the poor in James's time. That's what he's talking about. No sympathy. The, the rich guy wanted the last dime that this person had. Now, It is not riches that James is condemning. It's the conduct, the attitude of riches without sympathy is what he is addressing. Now think about this, the rich and the poor in our culture. What makes a person poor? I'm talking about not in a spiritual sense, but in a physical sense. And I will suggest to you it is one big thing, and that is debt. That is debt. What is happening in our culture is easy credit. Debt is the norm. Bondage to the debtor is the rule, and not the exception, resulting in the prison of debt that people get into. Now, what promotes this? What promotes this? Well, you have the external pressure of got to have it marketing. I got to have it marketing, followed by the internal pressures. I got to have it now. Not proper English, but that's how we're feeling. I want it now, and the marketing is telling you you need it now. Your car is two years old. How can you stand it? I can't. How do you stand that two-year-old car? Your tie is—it's the same ties. I got a closet full of ties. When I used to go to a church where you wore suits all the time, I have suits and I have ties like a billion of them. And you know what? They're all the same. I mean, they're—they're all the same ties. I could have two ties and. For different color suits, and that would be perfect. But I got all kinds of them because they come in different styles, different widths. You got your wide width, you got your skinny widths. Depends on the era. Depends on the era. Marketing. Instant gratification rules. There's a warning to all of us in Proverbs 22:7. Says this the rich rule over the poor, and the borrower is servant to the lender be very careful with falling into marketing schemes or your desire to have things just to have them be very careful with this do not become a slave do not become indebted a warning to the rich proverbs 22 verse 22 and 23 and this is this is really significant do not rob the poor man because he's poor do not exploit the poor man now you know what I think this has nothing to do. this is just a side note. You know what I think exploiting the poor man is? Giving that poor guy a credit card or gal a credit card and saying, run it up. Just run it up. You know what happens then? You are in bondage for the rest of your life. That is what happens. That is exploiting the poor. So do not rob the poor man because he is poor, nor oppress the afflicted at the gate. That is where the business was taking place. For the Lord will plead their cause and plunder the soul of those who plunder them. You know what that means? That the person that is exploiting the poor person, their soul is going to be one of unrest, unsatisfied. The warning here is do not exploit the poor. Verse 8 and 9, prejudiced. Careful with favoritism. Careful with prejudice. Favoritism is a sin. Verse 8 and 9, if you really fulfill the royal law, According to the scripture you shall love your neighbor as yourself. You do well. But if you show partiality you commit sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. He is not dumbing down his words here. He is being very specific. Being very specific. The royal law will help you. Love your neighbor as yourself. This is Leviticus 19:18. Jesus repeated this In Matthew 22, 39, when when he was approached by the Pharisees, a scribe in particular who was a lawyer, and says, which is the greatest commandment, Jesus? Which one are we supposed to really follow? And Jesus said to love you, Lord your God, with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. All of it hangs on this. The first four were to God, the last six were towards men. We are to love our neighbor, not look down on our neighbor. If you show favoritism, if you show face-looking, it is a sin, and you have broken the royal law. Chuck Swindoll has this to say on that. Wouldn't it be nice if all our relationships were guided by the royal law of love? But, in fa- but the fact is, we all have certain built-in prejudices that influence our reactions to people. Some hold prejudiced against divorced people. Or people who have been emotionally disabled, others against those who belong to a different political or ethnic or religious background. These kinds of prejudice produces cliques, gossip mongers, legalists, power-hungry groups and churches who put enormous pressure on others to conform to their rules of behavior. Each group has its own unwritten royal law that states: we'll love you if you don't speak with an accent. If you dress in a certain way, if you're educated, if, 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 you fill in the blanks. Showing favoritism is a sin. All are equal at the foot of the cross. Now, we went to a church when we were first married. And we loved the people, but then the the leadership decided that that we want you to sign this pledge. That you won't play cards that the women will not wear pants, that you won't do this and you won't do that and you won't do this. And immediately, we just had this rebellious spirit and go, our little Doberman thing went up and goes, I don't see this here. I'm, I'm just a baby Christian. I mean, I know virtually nothing about this, but I know what they're telling me didn't sound right. So be very careful to fit into that group. You had to be just like them. Hey, we want to follow God's word. That's what we want to follow. Be careful. Verse 10 through 11. Selective obedience is sin. Now, this is kind of interesting because it's really speaking to the person that thinks they're really a good person. And I do most of these things better than everybody else. Watch this. Verse 10 and 11. For whoever shall keep the whole law and yet stumble in one point, he is guilty of all. For he who said, do not commit adultery, also said, do not murder. Now if you do not commit adultery but you do murder, you have become a transgressor of the law. Now again this speaks to the person that thinks he's a good person, I'm gooder than you. I keep these things and you do way more wrong than I do. So that's the that's the picture here. So the 10 commandments are viewed as a totality as a whole not individually. So if you break one you've broken the other. Whoever keeps the whole law yet stumbles in one point is guilty of all. Now this is not, you have to be careful with this. Well, it's true that some sins are more atrocious than others, we will admit that, okay? It is not true that we're any less guilty before God's law simply because we only show partiality instead of murder. Look at sin is sin before God. There are worse ones. Murder is certainly worse than partiality, but when dealing with perfect holiness, we've fallen short no matter what. No matter what, if you treat people with favoritism, you have acted against the will of God and you are transgressing the law, you are sinning, you have deviated from from what God wants and that sin is being credited to you and I can tell you one thing, thank God, thank God that though sin has been credited to me, Jesus' righteousness has been credited to me. That's what we can thank God for. He does not see me as a sinner. He sees me through the blood of his Son, clean and whole and pure. That is great news. That is great news. But remember this, sin in a believer's life breaks fellowship with God, brings that dark feeling, that separated feeling like, oh, my life is in such a mess, feeling. It does not break relationship. If you are a child, you are a child. If you're a son of God or a daughter of God, you are a son or daughter of God. To restore fellowship, 1 John 1.9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Selective obedience is sin, folks. Selective obedience is sin. Now, we're talking about careful with favoritism For those who are prone to being judgmental, those who like to hold feet to the fire, The next verse is for you. Okay. Verse 12 and 13. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Mercy triumphs over judgment. So speak and so do as those who will be judged by the law of liberty. For judgment is without mercy to the one who has shown no mercy. Let that sink in. And mercy triumphs over judgment. Now, this is some strained words here. Strained words careful with favoritism, careful with being prone to be judgmental. Matthew 5, 7. This is in the Beatitudes. Now, the Beatitudes speak about how God's kingdom should run. Okay? Matthew chapter 5 through Matthew chapter 7 are the Beatitudes. God's kingdom principles applied to our lives. And he says this in Matthew 5, 7. Blessed are the merciful. Now, that should be a characteristic of every Christian. Merciful. Why? Because we have received a whole bunch of what? Mercy. He has mercied us. You bet. He's extended mercy for us. So blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Not getting what I deserve. That's what I received on the vertical level. I don't receive what I deserve. And on the horizontal level, if I give mercy, chances are I will receive mercy. So there's two areas here. The entire context of this section is not showing partiality or favoritism, but showing mercy, showing mercy. Judgment is sentencing and is without mercy to those who show no mercy. Judgment is without mercy to those who show no mercy. Now that word, show no mercy, no mercy is this word, anileo, A-N-I-L-E-O. Now, I want to suggest something to you. This is talking about the Bema Seat Judgment. The Bema Seat Judgment is the judgment of the believer's works, not our sins. Our sins have been judged at the cross. We will never be judged. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. But we will be judged for what we have done after salvation, what we have done for God. Some of it will come out as gold, silver, and precious stones, and we'll receive rewards. And some of it will be wood, hay, and stubble, and we will lose rewards. This is what this is referring to. Let me read this to you. James 2.13. This is from the Zadiate's Greek text. So, it means that in the day of judgment of the believer's works, he will not be shown mercy if he did not perform works of mercifulness on earth. A leniency of the judge is expressed in proportion to one's mercifulness on earth. Now, that is a little strainy statement there. Isn't it? Doesn't that make you feel a little, mm. But you know what? If you're not showing mercy, do you think that you're producing in your works gold, silver, or precious stones, or wood, hay, and stubble? If you are not a mercy giver, chances are what you are doing is wood, hay, and stubble. Mercy. Mercy is greater than judgment. Those motivated by the law of love and the law of liberty will show mercy. Now, what is the law of love? Well, John 13, 34 and 35. Jesus is one day before the cross. John 12 is a week. John 13 takes it down to one day. John 14 is hours before the cross. This is one day before the cross. When you're getting ready to die, you are sharing the most important things that you can share with those that that you love. And that is what Jesus is doing here. He said, a new commandment I give to you. He gave this to his disciples and by extension to us believers. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. As I have loved you, you must love one another, as it says in the NIV. In this way, all men will know you are my disciples if you love one another. You know what that that means? I am going to be merciful to my brethren. I'm going to be less judgmental with them. There's There's a place for judgment. I want to be very careful with this. I'll bring a little balance into this in just a second. So there is no prejudice with love. In dealing with prejudice, you know, whether it's color, rich or poor, whether it's big or little, smart or not smart, whatever your thing is, mercy triumphs over judgment. Mercy, compassion, not getting what I deserve, triumphs over judgment, sentencing, and condemnation. Now, when your life is examined, And it will be examined one day. When your life is examined, what will be the moral behind your story? What will be the moral behind your story? The law of love or the sin of prejudice? Now, we have to fight this prejudice because we're living in a situation where it's coming at us constantly. And we must fight it. A spirit of mercy or a spirit of judgment. Matthew 7.2 says this, For what judgment you judge, you will be judged. And the measure you used, it will be measured back to you. You want to be real critical? Get ready to receive that back. Or if you want to be gentle, receive that back. We are not told not to judge. Because we are all to have discernment. Okay? But we are to be very careful with making a critical judgment based on a lack of information. Proverbs 31.9 says this, open your mouth and judge righteously. 1 Corinthians 2.15, the spiritual person judges all things. So we are to make judgments. We are not to just be passive and let life just go by, but it's to have a spirit of mercy and not have a spirit of crushing judgment. Now think about this. Who do you like to be around? A mercy giver or a judgment giver? I'm telling you, I'll just bump up against mercy all day long. I might need to hear some judgment from time to time and be brought back into line. But if, generally speaking, you're going to want to be bumping up against people that are giving mercy and kindness and gentleness, mercy triumphs over judgment. Bring it at home. Thinking about what we have just learned, careful with favoritism. Chuck Swindoll has this to say. Great words. Our English word prejudice stems from the Latin noun that emphasizes a prejudgment of someone, causing us to form an opinion without knowing the facts. Once we've raced to our conclusions based upon incomplete facts, we're well on our way to irrational thinking. Thinking that results in an insidious attitude that says, don't bother me with the truth. My mind has been made up. That's the whole point of James in this chapter, is to diffuse this kind of faulty thinking. Now, think about this. Individual bias, individual prejudice is easily hidden in our culture of political correctness. It's easy to hide our prejudice with carefully scripted personas, well chosen words, but God knows the condition of our hearts. He sees everything clearly. He sees everything clearly. In the solitude of your mind, for just a moment, do some introspection. Look into yourself. As the Holy Spirit reveals areas of your heart, areas of favoritism, prejudice. pray that God will remove these areas. I'd like to ask you to do that right now. We all have some sort of pre-programmed look. So just in the quietness of this moment, for 10 seconds. We'll have quiet and you look into your heart and say, "God, what are you revealing to me that I must deal with?" So do that right now. Remember this, it is a sin to have favoritism and God is bigger than your prejudiced. You can change and you can start now. You can start now. And finally, I want to end with this. Prejudice or favoritism can have a devastating eternal impact. This is a true story about Mahatma Gandhi. Gandhi says in his autobiography this, that in his student days, he was truly interested in the Bible. Deeply touched by reading the Gospels, he seriously considered becoming a convert since Christianity seems to offer the real solution to the caste system that was dividing the people of India. One Sunday, he went to a nearby church to attend services. He decided to see the minister and ask for instruction on the way of salvation and enlightenment on their doctrines. Can you imagine? Someone coming in and saying, I don't know God, would you please tell me how to become a Christian? That's what Gandhi was doing but when he entered the sanctuary the ushers refused to give him a seat and suggested that he go and worship with his own people gandhi left and never came back if christians have a caste differences also he said to himself i might as well remain a hindu isn't that amazing prejudiced face-looking partiality how sad careful folks with favoritism careful with favoritism. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this time that you've given us to study your word. Thank you for James's teaching on this, Lord. This is something that he hit each one of us in some way. We all come into this thing with preconditioned prejudices. And I pray that you'll help us to deal with the issues that we have. Open up our hearts. Lord, cut us open, so to speak, and let us see ourselves as you see us. And Lord, may we deal with these things. Lord, we want to be more and more like you and less and less like us. And when I act in a partial way, in a prejudiced way, in a favoritism way, I'm acting in the old me. And Lord, may that become so, so much less and you so, so much greater. Lord, you've taught us today. You've taught us on this subject. And may we not just be hearers, but doers of the word of God. Holy Spirit, do your work in each one of us today. Thank you for the book of James, that faith without works is dead, Lord. Thank you for teaching us. Thank you for teaching us about prejudice today, about trials in the past. Thank you for teaching us about being swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to become angry, to be hearers of the word and not just doers of the word. Thank you, Holy Spirit, that you are here now teaching us truth. Thank you. Jesus' name, amen.